HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host. What's going on? <laughs> Some weird technical stuff here. Am I on? Is it time? Okay. The whole thing's just going to hell today. Do you remember Sesame Street? I mean, of course, who doesn't, you know, it's not like you don't remember Sesame Street. It's just always been there since 1965. I believe Sesame Street. We all watched Sesame Street. I would think, unless you grew up in like a TV-free household, which would have been a horrible tragedy for you. Because what else was there to do? Um, but you know, if you we all watched Sesame Street. I mean, how else did we all learn the alphabet or how to count to ten in Espanol? Uno, dos, tres. How else would you have learned that unless you grew up bilingual? Or about the importance of sharing, right? Sharing or other complex concepts like near and far or loud and soft, all of that stuff and pretty much everything else that I think I just about ever learned with the exception of, you know, maybe a few historic dates. Everything else I pretty much learned from watching Sesame Street. Oh, and also at camp. Sesame Street and camp. That was where the real education took place. Not high school, not the four years of college, not all the continuing ed, ed camp and Sesame Street. You know, because then back at school in the fall after camp, it just it wasn't the same. But, you know, that's where I got all. I went to an arts day camp. OK, just to clarify, I went to a creative and performing arts day camp on Long Island called Usedan. Usedan, shout out all my fellow Usedanites, um, which is where a lot of all this learning happened. Now, it was not at all like a you know, meatballs style, like dirty summer sleepaway camp education, like that kind of sleepaway camp or like wet, hot American summer kind of camp. Although I kind of wished I had gone to one of those instead or also in addition to because I would have liked to have been there, but only with those people, the actual cast of wet, hot American summer. No, but USDAM was like it was like a bunch of like nine year old. Well, you could go from eight to 18, but I was nine. 
when I started walking around on their own in this like woodsy, idyllic liberal arts college campus. Basically, it was like, here, go to college when you're nine. Here's a major subject. Here's a minor subject. Go to the pool for an hour. Go to this assembly. Go eat your lunch. Get back on the bus. Total autonomy, freedom. You picked your subjects. Hello. It was just like college minus the drugs and the sex, or at least for me, because I was quite young. I'm sure there was plenty of drugs and sex going on. I just was not at all aware of it. But intellectually, creatively, I learned more at my four summers of camp than I ever learned in my four four years of college. Okay, I'm just saying. And ironically, many of the kids I went to camp with actually wound up going to the same college as me, which was kind of a weird thing to see them 10 years later. But, um, you know, there were no organized sports, thank God. No counselors, like, screaming at you to play softball in the hot sun. No color wars. No messing around in the woods. Like I said, not for me. I was still too young for all that and way too nerdy for all that. Now, I'm sure there were plenty of older, artsy, cool Jewish kids. It was, like, not a Jewish camp, but it was predominantly Jewish camp. You know, hooking up behind the trombone studio. I'm I'm sure all that was happening. I was just, as I said, blissfully unaware of it all because I was young. I was way more excited about the daily ice cream bars that would be handed to us on our way back to the bus every afternoon. Every day at 3 o'clock, we would walk back to the buses and they would hand us ice cream. Now, even though I would lie every night at home after dinner and say that I didn't have the ice cream on the way home from camp so that I could then have dessert again that night, I did still eat the ice cream every day. Now, maybe that's why I wasn't getting any preteen action at camp. Maybe it was, you know, the plus-size jeans I had to squeeze my little body into from the ice cream. I, I don't know. But every night before I fell asleep of the summer, I every night I would lay there in bed and I would vow that tomorrow would be the day that I wouldn't take the ice cream bar. I would commit. Tomorrow, this is it. Tomorrow, I'm not taking the ice cream bar as it was handed to me or the ice cream sandwiches or those paper-wrapped ice cream cones or the creamsicles. I actually would, I never took the creamsicles anyway because creamsicles are a disgusting invention and even then I hated them because they tasted like baby aspirin. I've never understood the creamsicle. I think it's one of the most revolting flavor combinations ever. The milk and orange combo. Just thinking about it, I'm actually getting queasy. But I always succumbed. I always took the ice cream because all the other kids were taking the ice cream on the way to the bus and all the other kids were skinny, so why couldn't I eat the ice cream? I didn't get it. And I still, to this day, love those soggy, paper-wrapped frozen ice cream cones. You know those? Do they still exist? Like, I love how the cones would get all kind of like flexible and chewy from soaking up the moisture. Do they still sell those things? If anybody has seen those around, let me know. I'm sure they still sell them. But anyway, I'm not talking about camp today. I don't know where that came. I just, you know, reminiscing. Oh, I know why. Usedan has started advertising on the sides of, um, well, they used to be phone booths here in New York. They're not phone booths anymore. I guess they're like those bus shelters. They've started advertising, which is kind of a weird thing. Perhaps they would like to sponsor Heritage Radio Network and my show. Use Dan. I am a prestigious alum. Perhaps we should talk. You do sponsor WNYC. Why not us? Hmm? Use Dan. You listening? But what I really want to get back to is Sesame Street. Talking about Sesame Street. Because I'm sure if you watch Sesame Street, you remember the little song. An occasionally animated thing that they did about one of these things is not like the other. Remember that? 
One of these things is not like the other. Which one is different? Do you know? Right? Where they would show like like a grid of four things, like like three blocks and a ball. Or like three tools and a shoe. And then you had to cleverly identify the outlier in the group. Remember that? Now, even when I was like three watching Sesame Street, I remember thinking, this is just ridiculously simple. I mean, come on, Sesame Street. Give me something I can work with here. Give me a challenge. Come on. What toddler would not be able to tell the difference between tools and shoes? Okay. Unless they were like special. But I was special in my own way. Aren't we all? But those those were in the simpler days of Sesame Street. You know, it's changed a lot. What's happened on the street changed completely. If you are not my age, you may have grown up with the different Sesame Street. But those were the darker, grittier days of Sesame Street when it was actually supposed to be this like inner city kind of grungy street. It was actually supposed to be on the Upper West Side. Yes, which in the 60s and 70s was kind of a scary, grungy, urban crime-ridden place this was in the era before elmo okay once elmo came along basically the whole street went on prozac and everything changed and lost the grit you know once like giuliani and elmo took over sesame street the whole the whole scene changed but you know now that hbo took over i mean just forget it you know but when sesame street was a place that was like in the hood it was dingy it was dangerous there was graffiti it was rent controlled so normal people could live on Sesame Street, not just hedge fund douchebags lived on Sesame Street. Like, real people lived on the street, you know. And I really miss those days, actually, because, um, like I said, if you don't know, if you're not getting the reference, you were probably born later in the post-Elmo street world, not in mine. Um, but if you want to get a really good kind of example of, like, how how edgy the show was and how kind of urban, inner-city, experimental children's TV gone horribly wrong can be. That sentence wasn't properly structured, but what I want you to do is we're going to go to break in a second, and when we're on the break, I want you to go online, and I want you to search for this. Roosevelt Franklin Elementary School. Okay? Roosevelt Franklin Elementary School. Now, Roosevelt Franklin is the only character and storyline that was ever banned from Sesame Street after it aired the first few times because it was deemed to be a negative racist stereotype of young black children in the hood when it first hit the airwaves. and But it was so good. It was so wrong. But it was so good. And it had this great song. I love the song. And I was very, very little when it aired. And for years later, I thought that maybe I had only ever imagined it because they never showed it again. I thought I had hallucinated Roosevelt Franklin Elementary School, but um, no, it was real because I got to college, you know, 15 odd years later, and someone else mentioned it and remembered that they had seen it. And we both confirmed that we hadn't been hallucinating in the early 70s, but it was a real thing on the show. And then 15 years after that, thanks to the Internet being invented, my memories were confirmed because I was able to search. So we're going to go to a little break. Go ahead. Look up Roosevelt Franklin Elementary School, and I'm going to wait. And we'll take a break, and then we'll be back.
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. So did you go watch the clip on YouTube? Did you find it? Roosevelt Franklin. It's so great. I hope you watched it. Our Alma Mama. Hail to thee, our Alma Mama. Who wrote that? Such a genius. Hilarious. But anyway, you see why it could have been a little problematic? A little kind of stereotypical, a little racist, like just not cutting it. Could you imagine them airing that now, like in between Elmo's World and Abby Cadabby? I think the entire collective toddler universe would like have a heart attack. All right. So anyway, in our postmodern, post-racial, post-feminist, post-ironic, post-Roosevelt Franklin world that we're living in now, we're confronted with which one is different, do you know, challenges all the time. Remember, that's what we were talking about. Which one is different? One of these things? Yeah. And thanks to our early Sesame Street style education, I believe that we're all able to spot the outlier pretty well because we can tell what's a shoe and what's three different tools. Can't we? I think so. Most of us can spot the outlier and there are the good outliers, (coughs) Bernie Sanders, and there are the bad outliers, (coughs) I can't even say he who shall not be named. But we're not supposed to make a point of pointing out the outlier. We are tolerant, accepting people here in America. Everybody's welcome. We embrace all kinds. We love diversity here. Let's all remember that as we move toward Super Tuesday. So anyway, on this week's Let's Get Real edition of one of these things just doesn't belong here, which is actually like it's taken me 15 minutes to get to. But that's what we're talking about today. We're playing one of these things just doesn't belong here. Which one is different? Do you know? Can you tell me which thing just doesn't belong here? Anyway, let's discuss the new McDonald's pancake chicken sandwich. Have you heard of this thing? Only available in Ohio. Why am I not surprised? And only for a limited time. I'm sorry to all my friends and fans and listeners in Ohio. I know you would not be eating the pancake chicken sandwich. I know who you are. You eat like micro broccoli sprouts and pastured chicken. So this is not aimed at you. But yeah, you heard me right. The pancake chicken sandwich. New at McDonald's. Only in Ohio. I don't know the actual name of it. So I thought, is it called the McChickakewitch? Or the Pan Sandwich? I don't know. It's one of those. So this new work of food-esque genius, food-esque, mind you, genius, comes from a franchisee in Ohio, some guy who owns like eight stores, who cleverly took a McChicken fried chicken breast-esque filet. Because I'm not sure, like, is that really a chicken breast? From what kind? I don't know. And he took that fried breast-esque filet and he sandwiched it between... Not two pancakes, even though they're calling it pancakes, but two McGriddler's buns. I don't even know what they're called, buns. They're not sandwiched between actual pancakes, which, by the way, in the McDonald's vernacular are called hotcakes, not pancakes. But rather between those 
those like weird like syrup infused semi rigid bun things that the House of Ronald serves in the this breakfast sandwich that they do. Not an English muffin. No, it's not an English muffin. It's this other McGriddler thing. I've never eaten one, but I've I've done extensive research. I think they're like thicker, more spongy, more rigid, like pancake esque bun halves, stiff enough to like hold up as a sandwich. And they have the syrup baked right in. That's what they always say with the syrup baked right in. And then they're like branded. They're like like a cattle brand of the McDonald's logo on the surface, which is kind of cool actually. But anyway, so this way the syrup is baked right in so that it doesn't make a sticky mess all over the car seat and the iPad screen when your fat-fingered Wally kids are eating their breakfast in the minivan on the way to their endocrinologist appointments because their blood sugar is totally out of whack and you wonder why. So this franchisee in Ohio, because where else, created this new sandwich sensation and apparently it's just selling like... Well, you know, like hotcakes, but they're not using hotcakes or pancakes. They're using those McGriddlers, which, oh, have I mentioned, have the syrup baked right in. Baked right in. So you sandwich two McGriddler bun things around a fried simulated chicken breast shaped filet of something formerly known as chicken. And you've got yourself the biggest culinary success story since the cronut. Enough of a story to make the Today Show and to make national news headlines. A sandwich. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not like there's anything else going on in the news lately. I mean, we're in kind of a slow news cycle now, right? Am I right? Actually, I'd rather look at a McChickpanwich cake 24-7 than have to look at the big orange pancake face of a certain other candidate. Am I right, people? So what sparked this new culinary delight, this, this, this culinary stroke of genius? It turns out that this is that franchisee's attempt at a handheld version of the chicken and waffles. The chicken and waffles. I think that's what he's going for here because the House of Ronald has yet to introduce waffles, which I thought was actually kind of odd. But I can't imagine why they haven't introduced some sort of waffle-type item although i'm sure they've got one in their red and yellow stripe pipeline it's you know it's coming because in my mind all food comes down the pipeline at mcdonald's and it's red and yellow striped but i guess that mcgriddler bun is a good kind of good stand-in for a waffle the egg mcmuffin the classic egg mcmuffin of course emerged as a handheld version of the eggs benedict brunch staple that old war horse of the brunch, the Eggs Benedict. Some other franchisee wanted to do a handheld version of that, and they realized that the hollandaise sauce was problematic because it would drip and run all over the place. So that's why they slapped on the cheese instead. And be- lo and behold, the Egg McMuffin. But why not make chicken and waffles portable, too? I mean, everything else is portable now, right? Who needs cutlery anymore? Down with the silverware. Silverware is only for the elites and the 1%. Okay, ban the knife and fork, too, because they're way too dangerous for our precious little offspring's chubby fingers to try to handle. Okay, give them guns. Take away the spork. That's what I say. Now, one of these things, it just doesn't belong here. Which one is different? Do you know? Okay, having grown up in the liberal, artsy, liberal politics, snooty Northeast, like I did... And yet also having eaten my share of McDonald's, too, as a fat child and later as a stoned 
teenager, I had still actually never encountered the whole fried chicken with breakfast items phenomena, non phenomena, phenomena until very, very recently. Phenomena. Oh, I love that. That's cool. I love that. Yeah, I had never like seen like fried chicken with breakfast as a thing until very, very recently. Now, we occasionally ate fried chicken. There was a chain in our town called Bix. B-I-X. Bix. What is that? Like biscuits? Bix. And even sometimes, I guess, at home, although it made a huge mess and we didn't fry much. But what I had never, ever encountered, like seriously, I had never even heard of it. It had never entered my culinary scope. Never heard of it until like maybe less than 10 years ago was the chicken and waffles thing. The chicken and waffles phenomenon. Phenomena. No, that's the singular. Phenomena. I guess it's like a southern thing. Chicken and waffles. It must be a southern thing because... Like Waffle House, that's a southern thing. We never we had the Pancake House, international, you know, became IHOP, but we had our local family Pancake House. We used to go to, but waffles, I think I don't know. They're Belgian. Why did it turn into a southern thing? But all of a sudden, the chicken and waffle thing started popping up here in the Northeast on brunch menus and in even like savory, you know, applications and and oh, also and as tiny hors d'oeuvres at parties. Like when I was teaching. All those years, and we would have to do our graduation buffets. There was always some student who was like, Chef, I want to do a little tiny waffle with a little tiny piece of fried chicken on it. And I'd be like, mm, no, because I had final say. Nope. Sorry. <clears throat> and also, the chicken and waffle thing has spilled over into the, like, red velvet thing. So, like, there's this weird crossover hybrid red velvet chicken waffle mashup thing going on. And that's how you know we're all just going straight to hell. And the apocalypse is, is near, because... That's the sign. That's the true sign. But now the whole chicken waffle thing, it's like ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And I'm even consulting, again, on a new project. It's this little restaurant in New Jersey, this little nice local. We're trying to use a lot of local product, kind of earth the table, blah, blah, blah. And my client even tried to slip the chicken and waffles onto our brunch menu when I wasn't looking. But uh, no dice, pal, because I'm the paid consultant and I say what goes on the menu. So I say no, 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 like a dog. No, we're not going there. No. Chicken and waffles, chicken and waffles. It's everywhere. Chicken and waffles. I mean, there's nothing wrong with either one, you know, per se, and I suppose combining them for something altogether even more delicious is fine, too. I like chicken. I don't eat waffles, but I like waffles. But something about the whole thing, I don't know, it just rubs me the wrong way. I can't explain it. It's like, it just seems like it's against the natural order of things. It's going against God's will. Okay? If God wanted chicken and waffles to live on the same plate, well, there's no God, so I don't know. But... I mean, sure, like if you make a good waffle, like a really good waffle using like, let's say like really good, like stone ground flour and real butter and you pour like real maple syrup on it, that would be fine. Or you like fry up, you know, some really good pastured, happy outdoor raised chicken. That would be fine. Put it all together, pour on some more like real maple syrup, you know, from a tree, maybe a little hot sauce. Let's eat. Sounds good to me. I would eat that. I'd probably put arugula on it but still it would be delicious right 
But chicken and waffles has become the red velvet cake of the 20 teens. The 20 teens. That's what we're in now. Chicken and waffles is the red velvet of the 20 teens. Overplayed, overexposed, overdone, and completely devoid of its soul, of its origin story. A hollow shell of vacuous bluster. That's what it is. Designed to appeal to the masses, to the lowest common denominator, to the gaping maw of endless desire for salty, sweet, crunchy, and greasy. The non-discerning, blunted, and bludgeoned palates of the American voting populace. I mean, sorry, the American eater. Dumb it down, make it sweeter, make it crunchy, sell a billion units. That's the American food industry way. And to paraphrase the late great gossip columnist Cindy Adams... Only in Ohio, kids. Only in Ohio. Oh, wait a second. The research department just told me Cindy Adams is still alive. Oops. Sorry, Cindy Adams. All right, we're going to take a little break to correct that, and we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. I don't tweet that often, but when I do, you know, it's good. It's worth it. Um, okay, so today we're playing one of these things just doesn't belong here. Is it chicken and waffles? Can you tell me so? I don't know. I don't know. Am I going after the wrong target? Is this just a waste of time? Am I barking up the wrong tree? Does it matter? Do we need another version of the fried chicken sandwich in the world? Does anybody even have the energy to fight the fight anymore? Should we just all roll over and give up? Did you know that we raise and slaughter over 8 billion chickens a year in the U.S.? 8 billion chickens. That is an awful lot of chicken shit. That is like... that's. I can't even fathom that number. 8 billion one of my private clients is worth $8 billion. That's one chicken for every dollar he's worth. It's a lot of chickens. And now we're raising those chickens and then we're shipping them to China to be processed and then shipped back here. Ew. Mostly for fast food, chicken sandwiches, and nuggets too. Ew. Yuck. What would Roosevelt Franklin's mama have said about that? Roosevelt Franklin's mama probably grew up wringing the necks of backyard chickens with her bare hands. Till she moved up north to give her child a better life and put him in that elementary school in the ghetto where he then grew up to probably eat chicken nuggets in school. I don't know what she would say. Now, to get things straight here, let's just let's stay on track. And to remind you and myself yet again that this is not food that we're talking about or foodiness, actually. It's just crap. Okay, there's food, there's foodiness, and then there's crap. This is crap. I've been kind of veering off message lately, the foodiness message, and I want to reestablish my platform. I want to make sure the voters know what I believe in and where I stand. The planks of my platform as the voice of food curmudgeons everywhere. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not running for office. I forgot. Oh, well, maybe I should, actually. 
I'm certainly as qualified as anyone else. Now, to totally change the subject again, I want to discuss my newest current favorite food item. We're done with the chicken and waffles. Just, you know, we'll let it go. Okay, we're done with that chicken pancake mix sandwich thing. I'm letting it go. Roosevelt Franklin, we're letting it go. I want to discuss this new thing that I have discovered that I really like to eat. And we're running out of time, so let's get it over with. Okay, not the McPancake sandwich, not the rainbow bagel, which I talked about a few weeks ago, or the IHOP cinnamon roll French toast, which I've just read about. No, no, no. They're all coming up in upcoming shows. We have We have shows all about that, but... No, what I mean is a real food, a real food new favorite. Because, you know what, not everything that I say is sarcasm. I'm actually going to be very um, sincere with you now. I know it's hard to tell sometimes when I'm being sarcastic, when I'm being sincere. That's because sarcasm was my first language. And it's hard for me sometimes as a as a bilingual person. I speak sarcasm and I speak sincere. But it's hard keep them separated so my new favorite food that i've discovered is the okinawan purple sweet potato have you guys tried these yet oh my god they're so good so there are these sweet potatoes obviously that are they're kind of long and skinny and they have like beige papery skins but then inside they are like this deep dark purple they're like the same color purple that my hair was in high school if you saw me back then same color purple oh even darker like almost like an ultraviolet purple. Amazing. And the texture is like drier and like a little flakier than a regular orange sweet potato. Like a lot less moisture and a lot less sweet. But still kind of subtly sweet. And the texture is like, it's almost fudgy. Like it's almost like mochi. If you've ever had mochi. And also, they smell like lychees. Which I think is so amazing. And I love that smell. Now, apparently eating Okinawan sweet potatoes is the key to longevity. This is the true, like, Ponstillion fountain of youth food. Because the Okinawans occupy one of the world's blue zones. You know about the blue zones? Blue zones are these places in the world that have been identified as having the longest lived, healthiest people. Longest living, healthiest people. It's like Okinawa and Crete and someplace else someplace in california where these like religious people live seventh day adventists i forget where else but anyway okinawa now the okinawans you know where this is right it's an island southern japan it's an island southernmost point japan you know this right i hope they eat a lot of fish it's an island and a lot of sea vegetables what we call seaweed sea vegetables and they eat these purple sweet potatoes and then it's it's a volcanic island, so it's very steep. And so they climb up and down these steep hillsides all day. And apparently, that's all it takes to live forever. Eat the purple sweet potatoes, climb up and down the hills, eat some fish, eat some seaweed, and you live well until your 90s. And they also drink a little sake or a little beer every day. Oh, and they don't eat chicken and waffles. So that's how you live to be 100. Okay. So I bought a few of these Okinawan sweet potatoes, and I baked them. And I they were so good, I couldn't stop eating, like, right out of the oven. Handheld. I didn't even need a fork. Handheld. I was eating them. They were so good. No, they're not like the purple Peruvian potato, which is more like in the family of the Red Bliss or the Yukon Gold. Starchy, delicious, not sweet. You know, also good. It's more like the texture of kabocha squash, if you know what that is. You know, kabocha, it's Japanese squash, sort of like an acorn squash, but it has that same kind of drier 
kind of flaky, fudgy texture. It's the only way I can describe it. And also, incidentally, one of my new top five favorite vegetables, the kabocha squash. Oh, and also, hmm, Japanese. Look at that. Now, why can't some McDonald's franchisee somewhere create a in purple sweet potato patty? Fill it maybe with, like, spicy grilled mackerel, my favorite fish. Wrap the whole thing in kabocha squash and then wrap that again in a sheet of nori. Right? Doesn't that sound good? I think that sounds delicious. And it also covers all the bases. You got your sweet, you got your salty, you got your crunchy, you got your fatty, you got your bright colors right there. It's handheld. It's the perfect American fast food sandwich item. Hits all the right notes. You can hold it in your hand. It's got bright colors. And I'm sure some McDonald's franchisee in Japan, where they know what they're doing, is already serving something like that. But why can't we? Why can't we have something like that? Oh, right. I forgot. Because um, one of these things just doesn't belong here. And in fast food America, that thing is actual food. Oh, look, we're out of time. That's it for the week. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. Thanks, Ben Kaplan, for writing my awesome song. As always, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.